0: Lbb. 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 Evening L-D. My name is Chris Schutzer. I am your host of the podcast. And here we are in championship week. I'm excited to be joined by the full rotation of dudes. Let's start with our co-commissioner, Mr. Matthew Starr. Matt, in the conference championship,
1: how are you feeling, sir? Great. I did not expect to be here, uh, if you had asked me 72 hours ago. So it's, it's, it's a good feeling. Hmm. Happy to still be around.
0: Well-deserved. I think you've, you've played hard all season. And, uh, I, you know, it, 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 the well-deserved thing, I feel like a lot of people deserve. Very few get, but you do really deserve. Um, Thank you. We also have here with us today, Mr. Michael Becker. He's
2: no longer on vacation. He's in the full throes of playoffs, but Michael, how are you doing? Doing great. And to be clear, I was never on vacation. I was only on an LDB vacation. I could have really used a real vacation.
0: I mean, I thought that was implied. I've been, I've been referencing this, this, this fake vacation for quite some time.
2: Oh, see, I, I I was really, I was really going with the whole real vacation thing. All right,
0: I didn't get it either. Yeah, for for what it's worth, my humor is, you know, very hit or miss. So I won't take offense. Um, And rejoining the cast, and I think he's definitely going to lead us on some segments because all three of us uh, are in the championship round. Is we have Sean Crean. Sean, how you been, man? Good.
3: Thanks for rubbing it in. Yeah. No, I am on LDB vacation now for, for many months. Uh, excited to be here with you all. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the podcast is a great way to process my my grief, but also to hear all of your highs and lows of the last
0: week. And uh, no, I'm excited to be here. Well, you also had a few of your own. I know it's the McQueenie bracket, but it seemed like your match came down to the wire as well, no? It definitely did. We talked a lot
3: about superstition over email, and I know you, t- you covered it in the podcast last week. But yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, I think I got a little itchy because Mark was making a bunch of moves. And then I saw Dooner doing it. I was like, well, Dooner's still in the race here. Like, I guess he's playing the juju. So I'm just going to make an ad drop of a player that I probably wouldn't have even used. And then I think I called the gods down upon me and and Anton took three categories in the Yankees uh, Mets game to end the whole the whole week, which I know affected all the other matchups, too. So
2: do I need to repeat the Vin Scully quote?
3: Uh, no, I, I heard it. It was a really good one, but um, that doesn't change our experience of of the of life, our irrational experience. Yeah. Oh yeah, that makes
0: sense. So I will say that a number of owners reached out to me and they were like, oh, Schutzer, I'm on your side on this one. So like, I felt better afterwards. Uh, not, I mean, not that I really felt bad in the first place, but I think a lot of, a lot of people have that, that sentiment. So we don't need to revisit that conversation, but all you superstitious folk out there, I hear you, I see you. Um, why don't we start with the fact that star you did, you did come back. It was an epic, epic comeback. Why don't you walk us through the highs and lows of the last couple of, uh, days there?
1: I mean, if, uh, on Friday, I thought actually, honestly, going into, you know, really uh, going into the games on Saturday, I thought I was pretty much toast at that point. Um, Dubner had a pretty significant lead. I don't remember if it was like 9-3 or 10-2. And it didn't – a lot of categories were not close, especially on the pitching side of things. Offense was really close. Um, the pitching categories, I was having a good week. Dubner was having an incredible week. And it just didn't seem feasible for me to catch him. And um, I think kind of what happened – Uh, is that Dubner kind of could have conceded MGS and Ks to me. But at the time, I think I was winning like four, three or four offensive categories. It was very close. I think he didn't want to do that. Um, And he threw Charlie Morton on the same day that Corbin Burns had like one of the best starts that anyone has had all season. And uh, Morton didn't have a bad start, but he gave up, you know, it's like seven innings, three runs, which was enough to put me back in the race with you know, Corbin Burns going eight inning, eight uh, no hit innings with 14 strikeouts, which was like the most improbable thing that could have possibly happened. But that was exactly what I needed. And it and it gave me an out in that I had saved Kikuchi uh, on Sunday for, just you know, kind of a just in case start. I wasn't imagining this to be the just in case scenario where I needed him to, you know, turn ERA for me and and that sort of thing. But he came up huge. He pitched, you know, and the games on Sunday were were very intense. Uh, Kikuchi, the fact that Kikuchi got he flipped ERA with literally the last out that he got in the fifth inning, and then came out of the game (laughs) immediately, like immediately after that, was like the best thing that could have possibly happened. Um, because he then forced Dubner to pitch Carlos Carrasco. Uh, You know, if if Kikuchi had not flipped ERA, that would have been the end uh, right there. So it was crazy. You know, to get those performances that I did from those two guys was incredibly unlikely. And I feel for Dubner because I felt like You know, the odds of that matchup on going into the game starting on Saturday was probably like he had, I don't know, he probably would have had like an 85% chance to win or something. It just would, it just required some incredibly improbable things to happen. It just kind of all, unfortunately, broke my way. It was fun watching it, although I have
0: to say I didn't really. I think most of the league was paying attention to your matchup, less so uh, Jorby and mine. And then they looked over at Jorby and mine and they were stunned because I think a lot of people just assumed that it was over. I mean, uh, Dubner even pretty much put the nail uh, in the coffin on his Saturday report saying, you know, it was basically over. Um, you know, you, you referenced a, I don't know how you came up with that 85%, but I find it really interesting that all of us try to quantify our odds in these situations. And I really do think that if we had some, some way to statistically drive it, you're probably, Actually, being a little kind to yourself, I think you were probably lower than 85% if I had to guess. Um, and I can definitely say for me, our team going into the day on Sunday, I would have put it at 1% at best. Everything that we needed to have happen, including Jorvi managing a certain way, happened. Um, and so you know, it was it was an incredibly lucky turn of events for us. But before we go to that, uh, Becker, were you watching all of this shakeout?
2: I was monitoring uh, somewhat passively and expected to play Dubner because I had to get my lineup ready. And I was considering strategy, especially on the pitching side, uh, with Dubner's team in mind. And what was most fascinating to me is that Dubner was employing a a strategy that I've kind of consistently employed all season, which is bullpen matchups. So... Um, I was spending a lot of time Sunday thinking how am I going to fend off that type of strategy, and then all of a sudden like late in the day I was watching somewhat of the the Seattle game late in the day it flips and and I was totally shocked and then I didn't even realize your matchup flipped until much later, because I had just written that off totally. so it, 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 both of those are incredible. It's like drawing an inside straight on in two consecutive hands. Uh, just really impressive, you know, skill and managing, but also just letting, letting the dudes be dudes.
0: Yeah, and I do kind of want to walk you through it just from how insane it was real quick, if you guys don't mind. Um, going into Sunday, we were down 11-1. The only category that we had was VJ. And the VJ lead was, was one and a quarter. So it wasn't exactly safe either. Um, And we knew we had Lance Lynn going and we knew we had McCullers going down 24 MGS. So any chance that we had, we knew that those two were both just going to have to be nails. They were both going to have to come out and be so good that it would basically win us ERA, WIP, MGS uh, and, and, and bring us all the way back in K's. And at that point we were down nine K's and, and Jorvi's big mistake, uh, which I think he would tell you if he was here was that he, he rather than lock down K's by starting our Eric Lauer and risking bringing the MGS number down for us, he benched him. Um, and that ended up being the difference because had he done that, we would not have taken K's and we needed everything to go. And the hidden category that we flipped was stolen bases. And I don't know if there's any other night all season long that my team has stolen four bases, but it stole four bases on Sunday, which is absolute insanity. We needed two to flip the category. We ended up getting four, which is just, that was we stopped watching the stolen bases by the end. Um, that,
3: that was the one that jumped out to me. That was crazy. Four yeah. stolen bases, especially in this, this environment with steel such a premium. I mean, that's, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. And then the one last thing that I'll, that I'll say is that I went to bed thinking that the match was over and that we'd won. Um, like Vijay and I had, you know, fully laughed and, and, and partied and celebrated. He had, <laughs> he had Seth Lugo left. And I was like, the odds that Seth Lugo pitches two innings and gets four Ks are zero because I looked back and Lugo had not pitched two innings in, in basically the whole season. So I was like, the Mets aren't going to do that now. But what I missed was that earlier in the day, Jorby had Brad Hand on the bench and I didn't even see him. And he, he stuck Brad Hand in there. And then Brad Hand got two Ks in the sixth inning. And Lugo comes on for the eighth. And I was asleep. Uh, and Lugo got two out of the three batters he faced to strike out, tying the category. If he'd gotten one more K, you'd be talking to Jorby right now. So, I mean, it was just an epic, epic, epic match. Um,
2: celebration would have been premature. It would have. That would have been, been embarrassing. would be the most
0: painful wake up of my life. As it turns out, I went to bed at like 1030 and I woke up at midnight to a series of texts from VJ, and I was like, what the hell is going on here? And then I looked at it and I, and I almost crapped my pants. So um, anyway, it was a really,
1: really, really fun day.
0: Um, yeah,
1: it, it, some, somewhat similarly in my matchup, when, when Kikuchi flipped ERA, I thought that was it, uh, except for the chance, the odds that one of my relievers, I think I had two relievers Who'd yet to go could possibly get into a game and give up run. I did not realize that he had Carlos Carrasco uh, on his bench. Similarly, and had the opportunity to flip ERA or Ks, and ultimately got within two strikeouts of, of flipping that one, um, which created quite a. It, it looked like it was going to be a disaster start for Carrasco in the first inning. I think he threw like. 35 pitches in the first and then all of a sudden just chilled out and started mowing guys down. I think it was in the 4th he struck out Judge and Stanton back to back and got it within 3 and I was I was slightly terrified for for a little bit there but fortunately the bottom of the Yankees lineup as uh, much of contact hitters. <laughs> Nobody struck out and got got Grasco out of the game.
2: Well, let's not forget the the morning after and the uh the, the legal analysis and the, the leafing through the legislative history that took place, culminating in a uh, what looked like a legal memo by Matt Starr, identifying the issue, the question presented, the facts, and ultimately the final conclusion. I know, you know I, I briefly taught uh, legal writing at, at AU Law School, and that's exactly how I teach it to my students. Uh, so I was very impressed.
1: I, I, you, you weren't around for, I feel like most of the big rules decisions all came down like in an earlier time. There've been, there've been many of these throughout, throughout the years, but this was the, the first one in quite some time.
0: So I'll say that I, I committed a faux pas and I did it in, in, in an honest way. This was not a superstitious move, but on Friday when I looked at the math of this, I thought I was dead. Uh, I think the one percenter thing was really, uh, that was true of I felt going into the weekend, I didn't like. I think I had any shot of of catching Jorby at that point. I was down four stolen bases, so my team really did come back on that, and I needed it. Um, and I wrote him a text and I said, "Congrats, man. Uh, I give up." And I basically didn't really even watch on Saturday. You can check this because I set my lineup, but then I had two guys that didn't play. I was incredibly busy on Saturday, and I I assumed it was so over that I didn't even get guys in the lineup, um, which really sucked. And uh, so that sucked, but you know, I, I will say that the the writing of that brief, um, Jorvi and I were chatting, and I realized just the strength of the league and the strength of the friendships. Because I said to him, you know, this is a game. If they rule in, in your favor, like you don't don't feel bad. Like this is the you know this is what it is. Um, and I felt like we had a, a good thing going. So um, anyway, yeah. Jorvi and Dubner, if you're listening, you guys put up amazing fights. Uh, I know the losses sting but uh, it was a really good really match and, and you should be proud of your boys. Star, you want to say yeah.
1: something? Oh yeah, I, I just wanted to apologize for adding any fuel to that fire. I think I, despite being a commissioner, I did not know what the rules were over the years. And I think I kept suggesting that we, we go to this, uh, you know, most categories, one is the tiebreaker thing and we never actually did it. But in my mind, we had done it. And in fact, I had said, at one point when somebody asked what the tiebreaker was, I was like, oh, that's the first tiebreaker. Uh, and it never came down to it. It never actually had to settle a matchup. But um, I, I was not aware of what the actual rules on the books were in terms of playoff tiebreakers. So um, that was not – not I, on Sunday, I actually thought Dubner's, Dubner and I's matchup could come down to that and um, had to kind of start digging into that and and panicked when I realized I didn't actually know what the rules were.
0: Well, I, I hope that it's not too soon to review it this offseason, because it's actually a rule that I think is worthy of debate, um, because to me, it it, it it certainly does seem like a viable argument that that team should win. Um, but anyway, let's save that for another time. I know we've got a lot to cover today. I'm excited that Sean's here. I think we're all three of us going to be down with, with the wind in a moment, because um, uh, Sean's going to ask us some questions about being in the playoffs, what it feels like, etc. Sean, you want to take it away?
3: Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, just echo the uh, the applauding of Jorvi and Dubner for amazing seasons and uh, the matchups last week. Um, I was going to say just like the odds that three of the four of us would be now in the the league championship series. If you told us preseason, and maybe we would have believed it, but it's it's tough to pull off. So so congrats to all three of you for being here. Um, I think. I have thought about this topic for a long time and I think I've covered it with a bunch of you, but just the, the emotional experience of fantasy baseball, uh, which we also, it mirrors a, a lot of other real life experiences, but just the, uh, the question about whether it hurts more to lose or versus the joy that you get from winning and, uh, Matt and Chris have just gone through such a wild ride over the, the past few days that I feel like they probably contemplated both. Chris mentioning uh, conceding on Friday, essentially. I feel like, Chris, as you were saying that, it, it felt like an emotionally healthy thing to do, uh, to not put yourself through the uh, the potential stress of, like, watching every at-bat uh, for the next day when you really felt like it was, wasn't going to happen, so you were just emotionally acknowledging it. But, yeah, I just I would ask maybe start with, with Chris and, and, and then move ar- around the 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 windows um what's your take on that do you feel like the the pain of losing um is made up for in the joy of winning is that has that been a fixed sentiment over time is it changed just curious your take
0: i would love to win this league and then i'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> I've never been there,
2: man. Good answer, good uh, but, answer. But you know
0: what? I will say this. Week, week I, to week, week to week. Yeah. Week to week. All right. Well, you know what? I've had I've had wins that I've been really proud of. There one stands out. The year I lost to Anton in the finals, I beat Brophy in an epic 7-5, came down to the last at bat on a Sunday night match. And that one, the joy of winning was huge because I really felt like, you know, beating, beating Brophy that year was an accomplishment. Um, I think the gut punch loss is is a thing right like we've all read about it like we know what it's like when when our sports team gives us that and then you're out of you know watching you think you're about to move on instead you have an off season in front of you I I think it it feels like that and I've had plenty of losses in the playoffs where um, basically my team behaved like a lamb and I knew I was going to lose from pretty early last year Sean in the ghost season my loss to you stands out that way basically all my pitchers were hurt It's the team that I had rolled with the whole season was gone. And then my guys just by Wednesday, I knew it was over. Your team was, was performing amazingly. You were well on your way to a championship and my guys just were quitting. Um, And that that felt easy. Like I was like, I had a whole week to process the end of it and it felt good. The ones that hurt are the ones where you don't see it coming or um, maybe you're, you're really playing right up until the last minute and then you have to sit with it. I will say, I think there's there a true thing about sports and why we keep coming back. It's, it's similar to gambling, right? Like the, 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 the fear of loss and the pain of losing is actually what gets your heart racing. It's not the, the win itself. So I think your question is really a good one. And hopefully I win this year. And then, and then you can ask me again.
3: Yeah, uh, sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to to bring up the the championship conundrum, but uh, yeah, I, I think you've got a really good shot here. Um, the other thing I, I should have added in the preface there is, um, you know, if you look at the field of behavioral science. Um, we've studied this and humans do have a lot a bias that they are loss averse right you look at studies where people are gambling or, or have money uh, bet bet people will take less of an expected value outcome so they can minimize their chances of losing when they could take the outcome that maximizes their earnings overall uh, but could in- involve more losing so it's an it's 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 something that's known as a as a kind of a facet of human psychology. Um, and it definitely comes up in fancy baseball. Matt, as someone who has won the championship, uh, I, I don't know if you've lost as much as most of us. So maybe you're not well-placed to answer from the other side, but i uh, curious your take, especially, um, obviously it pains you when you're losing uh, in a big matchup, but we can just read it in your emails. It's like, it, it bothers you. So what's your take?
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny that you bring this up because I, so to bring things back to sports fandom, I think first, is in, in 2019, I as a fan had an interesting season and in that I had, you know, I, had, I am pretty diehard sports fan of four teams, of UVA basketball, of the Denver Nuggets, the Denver Broncos, and the Washington Nationals. And in 2019, I got two championships. I got the, the UVA, UVA basketball won in early 2019, and then the Nationals won the World Series in the fall. And, I, and, and it, I, it was funny, because I feel like my biggest takeaway after watching the Nationals year after year squander away playoff series where they were favorites was after winning two champ getting like two championships in a year, I felt like, man, the losses are so much more painful than like the 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 lows from the losses do not do not equal the highs from the wins. Like the wins almost feel like, especially in those two situations where it's like I was fans of teams who had been favored. And been upset many times in the past too. There was just like it was more relief than anything else to see those two teams win. And so I don't know. I, I I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think I think it's funny that you brought this up because like you know going through these last two weeks and seeing how you know coming really close to losing two weeks in a row uh, and managing to pull it out, I feel like I I, I would have been so so devastated if i had lost either of those games but i didn't really feel like true joy from (laughs) for at least from winning at least least from winning an individual matchup. i not it's not winning at all but that's uh you know because there was always another matchup to come i think maybe that probably tampered down the joy a little bit but i think i think you know honestly i think maybe the lows are lower than the highs are high Uh, even as someone who's won three times now um you know those wins are great and and they're incredible, and I think the last one I hadn't won in eight years or something like that. So that one was 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 wonderful. But you know, the 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 lows I was experiencing this week against Dubner were I feel like maybe canceled out when I when I thought it was over, maybe canceled out uh, the the joy that I could potentially feel if I win. Though things are not looking good right now. Also, it's much worse to lose like in a close matchup. You know, to lose on like you know the last pitch of the week versus, like, just getting your ass kicked from the beginning and just, like, acknowledging it's over. And, like, when you have to watch every single at-bat of every game on Sunday, you know, to, to know that one of those could be, like, the, t- the tide-turning game and go out of your favor, that's, that's the worst way to go down, I think. And that's, like, the worst you could possibly feel.
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, By the way, if you can hear my toddler screaming in the background, I apologize. I think uh, I've learned as a parent of young children that loss aversion is a real thing for for little children. The screaming over not having your toy and your sibling taking something is like a clear indicator of our bias towards loss aversion. I mean, yes, they get happy, but man, there's nothing like someone taking that toy or that attention from mom. Um, The sports fandom thing is also really interesting. I completely agree. Um, The lows of a loss, oh my God, painful. I will say to sound like a jerk of a New England sports fan, the best antidote I can tell you is to just have a lot of championships. And then you start to appreciate like what you were saying, Matt, like the win is good, but you really just have to appreciate the journey. And I, I, I sincerely believe this impacts my approach to LDB, which is trying to always be competing and avoiding like the long down cycles, because I like that champ. I've only won one, but like, I, I would love to win one again, but like Just losing, I hate losing. And so it's. I guess it depends on how you define losing versus winning. But that's part of why I like being in the race all the time. Um, Last but not least, Mr. Becker, what's your take? The
2: the losses sting. The losses, I think, sting more than uh, the satisfaction you feel in winning. Although uh, I've kind of reflected on this. And I think the the satisfaction from winning can come in waves over time. It is it it's an immediate high for a week, and like Matt, I'm a fan of the Washington Nationals, and 2019 was remarkable. And for the next week, it's like you're on cloud nine, Um, and then you kind of move on to other things. But I think the the joy in that championship will come when I see highlights in five years or 10 years, 15 years or 20 years. And I can tell you, as uh, someone who went to Syracuse University, they won one men's basketball championship my freshman year in 2003 and I look back on that championship so fondly not only for the winning but the celebrating we did and I get to cherish that and I get to like reflect back on that and strange moments either when you know you see one shining moment and they've got a picture of Carmelo Anthony at 19 years old holding a trophy Um, Or when I go back to basketball games uh, with my dad and my sister who also went to Syracuse. So I think like I'm, I'm 37 years old right now. And I think that the the joys of winning certain things will reveal themselves. I hope, I know that's true with, with real fandom. I hope it's true for fantasy fandom where this league continues in 50 years. And Wander Franco has been a, a first time hall of famer. And I can we can gather for a live draft and, and look back and say, gosh, remember that that run you had or, uh, you know, wasn't it fun when when Chris won his first championship? So I, I'd like to think that there's carryover in fantasy. It's a really good point as well
3: about the long term uh, joy of winning um, and looking back and appreciating that and having pride and, and reliving it in the case of a, a, of a major league sports team where you can watch the highlighter just looking at your your fantasy baseball banner or Louisville slugger. Thank you, Ian, for organizing all that over the years. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think back to like major losses, it's like they, they fade and often they, they are associated with other interesting memories. I remember the the Red Sox in 2003, the year before they lost or the way before, the, before they finally won the World Series when there was that infamous game with Pedro being kept in too long by Greedy Little. Um, I remember having a really um, just meaningful, like heart to heart with uh, one of our old college roommates um, walking along the Charles river and processing it. And uh, while well, it was a painful experience, I,
0: I remember that fondly. So
3: I agree with you. Um, Chris, if, go ahead.
0: If I may, since, since other folks referenced the, the uh, sports teams that they root for and, and the relief of that, there is something that, that I just wanted to point out because I completely agree that mirrors that, which is when you're expecting no shot and your team comes back, those are special in the moment in a very different way. And I'm thinking about the 4 Red Sox, watching what happened there. That was special because you were playing with house money, right? It was actually the same thing with the Cardinals in 2011. The playoff odds had gone below 1% at the beginning of August. The Cardinals basically went, I think, 50 and 10, got the last playoff spot on the last day, and then everything just broke their way in the playoffs. And I remember as a fan that year, that was my favorite sports memory of all time because It just felt so improbable. And when you're along for that kind of a ride, I think it's special in the moment in a different way. And it speaks to what you're talking about, about the the expected value of when you have a good team, you feel like you have to defend it. And anything short of winning is a loss, right? Whereas when you have nothing left and you somehow pull it out, if you come up empty, you say to yourself, like, well, I shouldn't have been there in the first place. And it just feels magical in a different kind of way. So
3: Matt, any final
1: thoughts or? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Becker brought up a good point of about the long term uh, emotions involved with winning, which is not something I guess I gave credit for. Like in the moment, I think a loss can feel more devastating than a win can feel can give you like a great feeling. But I think there is, I think you're right that there is like the the sting of the loss fades quickly, whereas like the joy of the win. Lasts, you know, it's a memory that sticks with you for a long time, and I guess I'm not giving it enough credit. I'm more, I'm more thinking of in in that in the moment of the win or the loss, and not so much about you know how that's going to make you feel a week or even multiple years from down the line.
3: <clears throat> well, well, gents I think we've worked through some really good emotional issues here. I feel like we've built some resilience, and uh, when we face tough times in the future, we can come back to this conversation. And uh, Chris and Matt, I just want to encourage you to bottle up this experience, maybe write it down when we have this podcast, at least you can remember in the future, but uh, going from 1% to hundred percent, Chris, as you just did in your own head, at least um, is very special. So, uh, yeah, so I think we're ready to, uh, to, to get ready for the, or the ongoing battle to address the ongoing battle um, in the, the championship series now. So Chris, I'll pass it back to you.
0: Sounds good, although I, I think an open-ended discussion, given that we have both of the union competitors here in front of us, is probably the best way to handle this rather than an interview style. So maybe I'll cue both of you. Um, listen, to our listeners, this, this podcast is taking place on Tuesday night. We started at about 9 p.m. The problem with that, I don't know that we had a better shot of having the cadence right, um, short of my not going bowling last night. But uh, the, the reality is we can't really do this on Sunday with the, with the matchups not decided. Um, so, you know, we, we, we could have done it last night, I suppose, but at this point we are looking at some stats already in the bank. Uh, and I'm sure that Matt and Michael will reference those, um, Matt, why don't I start with you? Since you actually said earlier, you, you, you said it's not looking good, uh, break down your team, break down what's already happened, break down what you hope will turn
1: around. I mean, I, I just think this week has got it's it's far from over. I, I should say that, but I this week I think I think Becker will will agree. This week got he got has gotten off to about the best possible start that he could have gotten off to from his pitchers, and that he got what eighteen innings and one earned run from Freddie Peralta, Adam Wainwright, and um, Eduardo Rodriguez, and that is huge. For him, I mean that's that's what needed. I mean that's what needed to happen for him to win. That's exactly what he needed in this matchup was for his starting pitching to be able to match what my guys were capable of, and that has happened. Uh, You know, Cole was fine today. Cole went five innings, gave up a run, did not look sharp in that game, but you know the the final line looks fine. But no, that's 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 what you expect from Garrett Cole. It's maybe not what you expect from. The the guys that Becker has, who are all good pitchers, but they're not Garrett Cole. And the fact that his guys did that um, is is it's going to make it hard for me to come back. I think from this because he's now got what 19 innings and one earned run on the books for the week, and that's that's tough tough to deal with, even with the pitchers that I still have coming. Um, so it's like I said, it's far from over, but this is certainly not how I wanted this week to start. <laughs>
0: Becker, does your confidence match Matt's, uh, I won't say despair, but uh, disappointment in how this week has begun?
2: No, because I know how long these are. I know you conceded on Saturday. I know last year during the go season, Sean conceded to me on Wednesday. Uh, So, you know, I'm taking nothing for granted. I will say, like, I'm clearly pleased that um, with the fast start in pitching, because it was required. And it was a little bit risky throwing Eduardo Rodriguez in particular. Um, but I knew that in order to win and in order to mat- match Matt's starters, I needed to take that type of gamble. And, you know, I, I think there some thought that um, the decrease in roster size from 31 to 26 would, fa- it would favor uh, my team uh, and particularly my bullpen. And I saw it the other way. I think you know my my squad was valuable because everybody needed forty four innings. Those innings some were were good, some were bad from a lot of different people. but I knew eventually a starting pitcher would blow up. And if I got most of my innings from the bullpen, I had a greater chance than uh, to to offset my inability to throw good starters. So I, I look at it like, my advantage with the bullpen has somehow decreased and I get to carry fewer bullpen members. So um, I think, I I think a lot of people have been paying attention. I know Matt certainly has, but if you look at, at least through war, the starters that I have Peralta, Ivaldi, Wainwright, those guys are in the top 20 of war in pitching. So in addition to the bullpen, I didn't even mention Robbie Ray, who might win the Cy Young. Uh, so I think that the starting pitching that I have is probably maybe a little better than folks anticipated, certainly better than I anticipated. I didn't really expect it to, to crystallize like this, uh, but I'm, I'm pleased with how it started. I know it was you know, necessary. I think hitting, we're both struggling and he could sweep hitting categories. It wouldn't surprise me a bit. So uh, it's a good start to a week, but it's a long week. All right, so why don't I ask you both
0: X factor, all right? Um, give me the player, Matt for you that the the rest of the way you think is going to be the biggest uh, single determining player of whether you win or lose.
1: So I'm gonna throw out a weird one and uh, it, it's it's gonna be a bit of a surprise. I feel like it's maybe one he's one of the more unpredictable guys and a guy who I wasn't necessarily set on using until. You know what I saw what happened today, and that's and that's Joe Musgrove, who I, I was on the fence about using against the Giants tomorrow, and who I will probably now throw just given the hole that I am currently in. Um, you know, just to chase counting stats, you know, get positive MGS, get some K's. You know, if Musgrove can have the kind of start that he has shown that he has been capable of this year, you know, I, I've owned Joe Musgrove for I don't know the last five seasons of LDB. He's like the most inconsistent pitcher, I think, that has ever existed. And the guy is capable of incredible performances and he is, inc- is capable of just nightmare starts. And it's like anyone could come in any day and there's no real predictability. It seemingly has nothing to do with the matchup. Uh, and so if Joe Musgrove goes out and throws like seven scoreless against the Giants, that could be huge for me. And he could go out and throw you know, four innings and give up six runs. And I feel like that's like equally possible. (laughs) And so I think right now he is the big X factor because he, I have a lot of good matchups. You know, burn, I got burns. I've got another cool start. I've got Tom Molly against the pirates. Those are all good starts. And, And the Musgrove start, I think actually, you know, if now that I've kind of decided I'm going to use him could play a big, could be a big factor in how this, this matchup plays out. Interesting um i i definitely thought you were gonna name a
2: pitcher i i wouldn't have guessed it was gonna be that one becker hit me so here's why fantasy baseball is so funny i'm trying to figure out an answer to your question and i'm debating whether that answer is lane thomas or daniel vogelbach and
0: you I know. unmute and I unmuted so everyone could hear me laughing. Because <laughs> Thank so you. Yeah,
2: yeah, I didn't want you to leave me hanging. And, you know, I didn't say that for comedic effect. Like, I really do believe that my season will likely come back to Lane Thomas or Daniel Vogelbach. Um, You know, I, I enjoyed the two weeks off. But during that time, like three of my guys lost their starting jobs. So Tommy Fam lost his job. Dom Smith lost his job. Uh, Dan, uh, Michael Brantley was injured so suddenly I had no first baseman who played on a regular basis and had to fill that hole with you know, bubble gum and, and string and um, you know I, I went from having a lot of outfielders to relying on uh, uh, Lane Thomas so yeah I, it's, just, it's just how it works and like never in my wildest dreams though did I expect to uh, for Daniel Vogelbach to play potentially a, a a winning role in this squad? I haven't gotten the opportunity to uh, deploy him yet, but it will be a strategic, uh, targeted strike. Hopefully, at the right moment.
0: Fair enough, Sean. Who do you like here?
3: Oof, it's tough. I mean, I think I think I have to go with Becker, just given the early lead that he's created for himself. Um, I think Star you know laid it out pretty well uh but you know it's very close and the matador is back he's been you know reverse jinxing himself perhaps and uh, i don't even remember calling the ghost season last year becker but good memory on wednesday well, I've, got I've got the yeah,
2: receipts i've got to look man. at the receipt
3: um but i also um i do want to uh just echo what you were saying about the 26 man roster i think the the sign of a good rule change or uh kind of a new setup for the league is that you know, I think it's flexible to different approaches, and there's trade-offs that that you have to make as an owner going into the season, uh, into the week. So, um, you know, I guess I guess we experimented with it last year in the go season, but definitely this year, going through it, just hearing you talk about your process, I, I'm not sure um, there is like one perfect strategy for this that you can set up your team for success in the regular season and then be ready to deploy it again in the playoffs. So, I think it's I think it's a cool adjustment, and I I'm I'm just happy to see it in action. So.
0: One thing that I love about the four teams that remain is that each one of us has truly gone through a low spell, right? Star, your team really hit a lull the last four
1: weeks of the regular season. Uh, Beck, it, it wasn't. It wasn't the last. It was kind of right in the middle, actually. It was kind of like weeks like you know, eleven through fourteen is really when I hit the low spell.
0: Yeah uh becker am i remembering correctly that at the beginning of the season your team was was very good and then weeks maybe like four through eight you were just sort of
2: average or you you are remembering correctly i lost both of my starting shortstops on the same day and was forced to rely on uh whoever the hell the phillies were running out there at the time and uh taylor walls so i went through a bleak maybe three four weeks until it kind of righted itself and i patched those holes
3: Becker, Becker, you mentioned Taylor Walls. I'm sorry, can, Sorry, Chris. Can you, can you walk us through the process of telling him he wasn't going to make the, the cut for the playoff roster? Because I know Becker and I did a lot of texting on Sunday night. He, he was asking me for my thoughts, and I just, I know it was hard for you. So. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of having direct conversations when you have to bear bad news. So I called him into the manager's office. I said, Look, Taylor, I know we just picked you up, um, but it's not going to work out this week. No, so um, yeah, I, I, like you, feel very strongly about um, having backups at every position, especially during the playoffs in which you can't make a, a midweek acquisition. Uh, I, right now, I, at shortstop, I only have Carlos Correa, and, and that I felt very exposed by that. So I really didn't want to get into a situation in which Carlos Correa got hurt and suddenly I'm not running out of shortstop. Um, every day and I'm just taking zeros. So uh, I also knew that I needed to fill that first base hole and I needed three guys to fill one spot, regrettably. And it was really like, can I, can I fill first base or can I get like a, another bullpen piece in there and maybe sacrifice Taylor Walls and get away with uh, not, ha- not having a backup for Carlos Correa? I know it's Tuesday, Carlos Correa has played you know, both days, He's had a, a good run of health. I don't want to jinx it with that juju we got flying around this room, but um, that's that's what went through my head, and it was an, it was a really agonizing decision. It was probably one of the toughest LDB decisions I've made all year.
1: Can I just can I, can I say real quick that I was very sad to see Wander Franco go down last week with injury because it it did not force Becker to make a decision (laughs) on whether to promote Franco this week or not. I've been clear. I've been clear
2: with my intentions. No, it, It actually made it made the decision more clear. I know you texted me, Matt. and You said, you know, does this, uh, uh, make it, you know, more difficult or it, no, it, it clarified it. I knew that once Wander got injured, uh, especially with a hamstring injury, he wasn't coming up this season. So in short, it made the decision easier for me. And I think in the long run, it's the right decision in the short run. You know, now it's the right decision, but I wasn't so sure that would be the case.
0: Um, the conversation took us in a different direction, but. If we're, if we're good on the union, um, I will use the fact that I sort of aborted the conversation around every one of us having had a lull uh, as a segue right now to say that if Brophy wins this, he's going to win it in spite of the fact that his team's in a lull. I actually think he's coming out of the lull from a hitting side. Uh, from a pitching side, Darvish, he benched him yesterday at the last minute, much to my chagrin. Because uh, he then totally sucked and probably would have sank his chances. Um, and Darvish is uh, important to Jorby's squad if we look back at the season. Kershaw is you know, went four and a third innings last night. If, in, if- in his
1: first start, first start off the IL in like two months.
0: I know. And so if he is able to win this championship, it's going to be because Kershaw got healthy and gave him enough. Brophy has completely switched strategies here. Uh, and I actually didn't even really notice until it was time to play. He has eight relievers on his squad. And um, so he's really minimizing his starting pitchers. I think he would admit at this point that mine give me a better chance to win than his do him.
1: So um, it, yeah, it, I'd it, like to I'd just but, like to notice how, note how terrible Yu Darvish has been for like two months now. It's just been absolutely awful since the beginning of July. He got, he had that, I forget, was a back injury, I believe, uh, in early July and went on the IL and he just has not looked like the same pitcher since coming back. Uh, and I don't, I don't think, I, I think obviously Brophy, you know, can't trust him. Just The fact that he benched him yesterday, it's a sign of that. And I think he's got another matchup later this week. And it's going to be interesting to see if Brophy's willing to throw him out there. Should he maybe need him towards the end of the week? know can you trust you darvish at this point I, i'm not sure you can because he's just been that bad
0: so why don't i uh hand the reins over to talk about federal to you guys you can so, you know you can interview me a smidgen if you want um we're already talking about brophy squad here um i'm watching it much more closely than you guys i'm guessing uh the hitting is still really good though the hitting is really 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 good if you look at the the power on this team in particular, I think it it probably has the best power of the four remaining teams. He has a lot of guys that have hit 30 home runs. Um, And you notice that Mondesi is back. I did notice. I'm
1: sure you noticed it.
0: He is not really playing Mondesi so far.
2: I I, I think that'll probably end up being a situational choice. Right. But just Uh, to to have that as, as an advantage, if you're down stolen bases, he can win you a category in one afternoon. Don't I know it? Because it's the second straight week I'm going
0: up against a guy like that. I had Miles Straw have three stolen bases against me last week in one night, and I wanted to punch something. So um, I heard a lot about that as it was happening. From me? Yes, yeah, from you. Uh, I don't recall that, but yeah, I'm sure it's true. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so um, uh, what do you guys think? Who do you like in this matchup, given where things stand at the moment?
3: I feel like Brophy, he's playing it pretty close. I, I was also surprised when I looked into the relief pitchers. I mean, I, I, I think carrying, you could carry eight relief pitchers and still have more starters, starts coming up than he has. So he's going to get to the edge of 30 innings, it looks like. Um, if he starts Darvish, it shouldn't be a problem, but it doesn't sound like he should. Um, so that's just going to be interesting to watch for. I think you talked about the, the expected average number of relief innings you could get per, per pitcher. On the last pod or one of the recent pods, and my my math right now tells me he's just about at thirty uh, with those two starts remaining. So that's interesting. Like you said, the offense is looking. I think both sides are obviously very competitive on offense. Um, you you could definitely overwhelm him with K's if you if you give up on the other rate stats. Um, I don't know. It's it looks super close to me. I I wouldn't want to call it right now.
1: Yeah, I I, I tend to agree. I I, I will say, I, bro. We've talked a little bit about Brophy's pitching, but like I, I think it's it's worth diving into just how much trouble these guys have gotten into. Like Luis Garcia, who was absolutely dominant for a good chunk of the season has been a nightmare over the last couple of starts. He looks like a mess. Carlos Rodon does not look like the same guy. So, so Garcia in his last three starts, let me pull up the numbers here. Um, Garcia in his last three starts has a 5.2 ERA. Darvish, since the beginning of July, has a 7.67 ERA. He's given up 17 home runs in 54 innings. Just do the math on that. That's insane. Uh, you know, Rodon has not gone deep into games since he's come off the I.L. He's only pitched five innings in all three of his last three starts. Um, does not look like a guy that you can – really rely on for more than that and has not had the dominating numbers in those starts either that he was putting up earlier in the season, the K rates way down. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's not, it, I think it's not where Brophy wants to be with this group at this point, you know, you don't really know what you're getting from Kershaw. Pitching against the Diamondbacks yesterday. I don't, I don't know who he pitches against later in the week. Should probably pull that, have that in front of me, um, but it may not be someone as easy as the Diamondbacks maybe it is. Hold on. I don't know. So I, I, I think that I, I, I would, I, it's against Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. At Cincinnati yeah. is a tough Oof. matchup. That's, that's not, yeah. that's not great. Um, so I don't know. I, I think just given the circumstances, I probably give the edge to, to Schutzer right now, just because I have a lot of concerns about really each and every one of Brophy's pitchers right now, um, except for Otani, who's been great pitching wise. And it's not been the hitter that he was earlier in the season, interestingly enough, but it's been, it's been pitching great lately.
0: So I'll, I'll play Matador and uh, you know, I'm not going to call the match because I I have a policy against that when I'm in it, but um, I'm very afraid. Uh, I'm, I I think Brophy's team is is really built well for the playoffs. Um, And every day that he gets closer to 30 innings to Sean's point, the more afraid I'm going to get because right now He's sitting around, I think he's at seven innings pitched. Um, he's had two clean ones tonight, very good ones. So the VJ match is now tied again. I think realistically, if, if this squad gets him to 30 off those two starts, I like him to beat me. Uh, if they don't, and he's forced to go to one more start, then I'll start to like my chances. That can change based on how Woodruff pitches tomorrow. Woodruff has not pitched in over a week and his last uh, outing, he gave up three home runs. And actually, if you look at some of the stuff he's done lately, he's either been really good or sort of a little below average. Uh, And I'm, I'm obviously going to throw him. Um, I'm very confident in Lance Lynn, especially because he has Texas. My matchups this week are very good. Um, But Odorizzi getting hurt and giving me that quick negative MGS score. I, I'm not terrified because I really think I should win that category fairly easily if my guys do what they're supposed to do. And if they don't, I was going to lose anyway. So um, that's kind of the way I, I see that. But I I don't think it's it's um, I don't think it's an obvious I'm the favorite situation here. I would say I think it's coin flip at best. Um, so I agree with you.
2: I, I'm going to similarly hedge. I think if uh, Brophy wins, it's because he was able to piece together one inning at a time in a a slow, consistent manner. If you win, I think it will be because you've outslugged them. I have confidence in your starting pitchers. uh, But if you can really take the advantage in hitting, uh, I like your chances. So right now hitting
0: basically dead even. And Sean, I I know you want to talk, so I'll I'll let you go there, but going back to my who's the X factor question um, it's, it's hard to pick one for me. I kind of want to say J.D. Martinez, who's been ice cold. I kind of want to say Elo Jimenez, whose last home run was three weeks ago. I kind of want to say Joan Moncada, who I don't even know the last time he homered. Um, I kind of want to say, you know, like I literally could pick any of the hitters that if you guys were asking me why I lost last week to Jorvi and I barely pulled it out, I would have said, my guys didn't show up. I got home runs from Aaron Judge and, and, and Josh Bell and that was it. And that is it. I had four home runs last week. Two of my players provided them. So, you know, Real Muto's given me nothing. Like I, I think you're right, Becker. It's going to be very hard for me to win if my hitters continue to not show up. John, go the ahead. The other
3: dynamic I was going to ask you about, and this gets to the, the 26-man roster trade-offs decisions that Becker and I were talking about earlier is the the, the scheduled appearance of your starting pitchers, like when you can you can pop that um, because I, I, I haven't had a chance to look at that at the schedule for your team's perspective, but like, do you have the flexibility to start and not start depending on whether you want to chase case? Because I feel like that is an advantage. And certainly for me, when I was trying to make cross decisions last week, like some of the, the, the tough decisions came down to whether this pitcher was going to give me the option to, to choose a different strategy later in the week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're looking at the guys that I hope to not have to use, uh, as I believe Star used last week, break only in the event of emergency situation. I have two of that's them. That's a good one. Yeah, uh, it was it was great. I love it, and I think we're going to continue to use it. I have two. Uh, one of them I could see more uh, using more quickly than the other. So I have um, I have Stephen Matz with a decent matchup. Uh, he's home against um, Minnesota, and Minnesota has been pretty pretty cold lately. I wouldn't say that that's a dream matchup, but if I need him. I have him there. That's Saturday, I believe, and then the other one is uh, Desclafani's pitching today. I did not use that. Um, if I needed a you know a hail mary, he pitches Sunday against the Braves. I really hope to not have to need that, um, but that would be the other one that I could go to. I think you know I don't know if Ohteriz is going to make the next start. There hasn't been much literature out there on on how bad it is. They're listing as a sword foot. He didn't immediately go on the I.L. If he's out there, his, his remaining matchup is also quite tasty. Uh, I'm hoping that the Lance Lynn, Lance McCullers, and, uh, and Woodruff uh, outings get me close to what I need to feel confident that I
2: can basically ride the pen the rest of the way. We'll see. Do you guys like your starts early in the week, later in the week, spread out?
0: Uh, I'll say I, mean- I took the chance on, on Odorizzi because it was the first day and the matchup was great um but I'm disappointed in the result obviously
1: I mean I, I like the obvious starts early in the week I think the toughest maybe the toughest call is when you have like a bad matchup or an iffy start early in the week and like I I, I went last week I threw Arkidi in what appeared to be a good matchup against the Mariners but he was on a pitch count still and it really backfired. It wasn't horrible, but he went like three innings, gave up two earned runs, and like you know, negative ten MGS, and that was not what I was looking for early on in the week. And so, I think th- those starts are scary. You know, this is, like the mus- this is like the Musgrove start tomorrow that you know I thought I might need, and probably now I'm going to use. Um, you know, if that was, I-, I would much rather have more information before deciding whether to use him. But uh, in-, in that start, but. It's going to be what it's going to be, I
2: guess. Yeah, more information, I think, is is the right answer. Uh, if, if the answer is not an automatic 20 MGS start, the, the, the right answer is, I think, more information at least helps me make decisions. you have any thoughts on that, Sean?
3: No, I was literally going to say the same thing. Um, for, a, for a difficult decision, you always want more information. So later in the week, you have more information on which to base the decision. So for sure, agreed.
0: Uh, Before we transition over to the McQueenie bracket, because I think we've talked about these two matchups enough here, I do just want to say one quick thing since we've referenced it sort of sideways so many times, and I'm really enjoying this new playoff format. I kind of want to open that up for the league. I I just think for those of you who have really gotten to enjoy the managerial experience that the 30 inning limit uh, playing this new way has presented, I think it's a much, much more interesting playoff game than it was before. Uh, the one question that I have long-term and I don't want to make any changes for a number of years is, do we want to set a limit on the number of starts that you are required to make? Um, I do think that in, uh, in major league baseball, we've, we've moved away from that. So I think the answer is probably the league would be against me on this and just say 30 innings or 30 innings. But I do, I do like the idea of requiring at least you know, three starters or four starters, whatever it might be, in the same way that in a true playoff series, you can, you can go to the pen as much as you want, but you're still going to have to lean on a couple guys um, just to mirror Major League Baseball. So wanted to throw that out there. Go ahead, John.
3: So Van, Graves, Van Graves had a really interesting post uh, last week or something about the Rays and how um, maybe partly through good luck, but also through obviously the, the, the Rays magic, they have a, just so many good relief pitchers and they uh, perhaps ordinarily, you wouldn't want to rely on so many relief pitchers in the in the playoffs just because the odds of one of of one of them having uh, a, a blow up when you use four or five pitchers is, just goes up quite significantly when you're, when you're just throwing that many darts at the same time. Um, and I think, I think it was a great article. I would recommend checking out, but for just reading that and hearing you talk, I mean, I think if someone can get away with it, with their relief pitcher stuff, then we should let them, because that's the strategy that the Rays are going to be deploying now. So we're making real baseball and, uh, you know, there's not, there's a lot of trade offs. There's a lot of risk to it, but I say, go for it.
0: Fair enough. I, I,
1: yeah, I, 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 you go ahead. I, I, I tend to agree. I, 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 you know, it's, it's something that, um, it's something that we've talked about before, and something I've I've considered in the past. Like, you know, I don't want to get into a whole discussion about future rules here, but like, do we even bother having release pitcher and starting pitcher designations in the future? And, you know, is that even something we want to bother with? And do we just set an innings number and let teams do whatever they want with those innings? Um, I'm kind of leaning more and more towards going that direction and, and letting teams kind of decide for themselves what they want to handle, especially because there's an arbitrariness now with our eligibility and that like, you know, a lot of relievers have starting control eligibility, but a lot don't, it doesn't really seem to, there's not really a lot of rhyme or reason to who has it. So like these guys who have it have this extra value, but for no real reason. And, you know, I'm I'm, I'm almost just of the mindset to say, fuck it, <laughs> free for all.
0: Um, are you guys comfortable moving on to just, I'm looking at the clock and how long we've run and just trying to, always trying to keep this to an hour. We, we, we often don't succeed, but, Shall we, shall we talk for a few minutes about the two McQueenie matchups? I'm getting nods, folks. Let's do it. Nods are great for podcasts, just so you know. Um, so uh, let's, uh, let's start with the federal on this side. Um, I, I got to give Anton some credit, guys. Like, Can we just have a quick minute on this? We, we've counted him out. I didn't in the first week, but I certainly did in the second week. I think it's going to be even harder, but weirdly, he's way ahead. He just lost Snell for the rest of the season. I don't know how he's doing this, but at what point are we just going to say, I'm not going to bet against the Anton anymore? I see Becker with a smirk.
2: I, Becker, what do you think here, man? I, he, we'll see how the rest of the week goes. I mean, I don't think he's particularly w- way ahead. Uh, tied at one at home runs. OBP and OPS are somewhat close. Uh, zero RBI. Zero RBI still, uh, one stolen base to none. So I think you know, in terms of the pitching, he's got an advantage. But I think Joe Ryan just went down today. Uh, I didn't realize the Snell news, but it doesn't surprise me that he's out for the se- season. But look, one, one start, like the one you get from Alec Manoa, that that gets you a quarter of a way to 30. And if you can string it together... I'm not sure if Zach Plesak going to be the guy or or Hauser will be the guy, but maybe throw in a few good relievers and he's got them. I still think he uh, is the favorite in this
1: matchup, but I can't, I think it's too early to declare it. Yeah. I mean, I I just think given what's happened already in this matchup is huge for Anton um, and gives him a big advantage because Mark has Mark's team, Already has a six six ERA with eighteen innings on the books. I mean that's and Anton with just has given has given up one run with fourteen innings on the books. That's a major 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 difference in terms of what we what we have in the pitching categories already. Alec Manoa was incredible yesterday. I watched some of that game. You know, Joe Ryan was huge. I think even without Blake Snell, it, it doesn't sound like he's out for the season. I don't think, unless I missed something. It sounds like he he just may not make his second start this week. Um, but it seems like even without Blake Snell, um, that that may not matter. And I think Anton has the advantage on the offensive side too in this matchup. And uh, I think I'd, I my money would be on Anton right now. Given given, I, maybe I wouldn't have said that but like before what had happened that happened. But given what's already transpired, I think there's a big advantage there already.
3: Yeah, as someone that just lost to Anton, I, I, I can tell you his team is, is putting up some nice numbers. Um, I just read that currently they're saying they th- think Snell may still pitch this weekend. That's as of six hours ago. Um, I think he's got another couple of starts this week that could be useful so he can b- maybe choose one of them. And if his bullpen, you know, shows up, maybe he only needs one more start there um and honestly like i mean if mark's dug a hole for himself i don't think mark's team is really that clearly much better than anton's especially mark was really managing well as he always does late in the season especially with a big budget or an unlimited budget without any free agent transaction costs um and now that's not possible so he's he, we have the players that we have to work with now 26 of them and and so i think um especially given the the, the cushion that anton's built for himself that that he's in good shape here so i definitely call it for anton at this point
1: yeah. I think we all, like I, I hope teams know that there are in fact, transaction costs still, it's <laughs> still costing money. Uh, the I last...
0: thought
3: it was, ze- I thought it was zero by this point. I thought it was like, no, we, we changed the a the couple week.
1: years ago. So it's, oh. it stays, it stays, I mean, it's 25 K it's, you know, it's, Got it's it. the same as it is in week 20, but we made them not free. Um, I do
0: just want to very quickly say, before we move to the other side of the bracket, to me, the the thing that we might have been sleeping on was just how unhealthy Anton's lineup had been for most of the year, and he finally has the lineup that he was supposed to. Now, granted, Gleyber Torres has uh, been pretty awful, even when healthy, but uh, Robert is good, um, and, and he's now hitting, and um, I think, uh, well, really, that was it. I'm sorry, it was one guy. But you know what? Cliver, that one guy in the greeny. Cliver Torres.
3: <laughs> Cliver Torres swung three categories on Sunday night in the Yankees-Mets game to give Anton the victory. So I, I, I would not call the gods down on Cliver Torres here.
0: I think that was great podcasting right there, though. <laughs> sorry, guys, <laughs> looking at the lineup expecting to find things, and the cupboard was bare. All right, let's move over to the Union side um so at this point uh who do we have left who
2: wants to break this one down i'll take a crack uh i think unfortunately this is the week that the izzy ride comes to an end as much as i like the offense and i love joey Votto. um you know blackman benintendi ryan zimmerman hit a home run go ryan zimmerman um i think i think um the ballers have way too much pitching. And so all it will really take, I believe, will be one or two offensive categories. And Ryan can do that, certainly. So uh, as much as it is kind of real fun route for
1: Izzy, I think, I think Ryan's got this. Yeah, I mean, Hughes was my pick, I think, to win the McLeany bracket at the beginning of this, just because I just thought on paper at least he had the I mean, the fact that he had the double bye and what I thought was the most talented team of all the McQueenie teams, um, I think there's just a big talent disparity here um, between him and Ray. And as much as I'd like to root for Ray and see Ray (laughs) go all the way, I feel like this might be the end for him, unfortunately, and he was off to, to a great start to the week as well.
3: Yeah, I don't have anything to add. I, I, I do like the wrinkle that Ian pointed out, which is if Ray were to go all the way, he, he could void his McQueen penalties, which is cool.
0: All right, guys. Um, well, I'm, I you know, think it's probably time that we start wrapping this up. Uh, it's been roughly an hour, and, and I think that that's the digestible amount. So um, I wanna thank you all. This has been a really fun season. For those of you who are not participating in the podcast on a week by week basis, I just need to say in the event that we might hand this one off, uh, Ian, I haven't warned you about this, but we all sort of agreed that maybe you should host the next one uh, in light of the fact that we're likely to have um, at least one of us in the finals and should be a guest, I feel. Um, And I I thought it would be a nice nod to you starting the podcast. Wonderful idea that you had a number of years ago. So I think it would be cool if you're willing to come back and, and, and host a championship podcast as you have done in the past. Um, But in light of the fact that this might be our last one where it's the four of us, I wanna thank you guys uh, for putting the time into this. Um, It's been really fun. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, And to those of you who are maybe thinking like, wow, I wish I had done that, just know, that it grants you a 75% chance of making it to the championship round. (laughs) That is very clear at this point. I think, uh, Sean, I'm sorry that you drew the short straw there, but you know, maybe next year you will be in the three out of four of us that will make it again. Um, And, uh, and I'm rooting for you. So um, let's go to final thoughts. Becker, I'm starting with you. Final thoughts on this championship week about baseball, about LDB, about the matchup. What do you want to say?
2: Sure. Just want to return the praise. You've done an excellent job. I know this will not be the last podcast, but if it is the, the last with the four of us, uh, just know that you've been uh, terrific. It, I, I share your thoughts. I mean, this is really fun. I always enjoy it, even when it uh, sometimes goes past my bedtime. Um, you know, I make do. And I, I really do hope that we can increase the, the listening audience. Um, I understand there are some some female listeners. Hello, ladies. <laughs> I'm sorry. but i'd like to i'd like that number to the go wives like, of
1: wives <laughs> uh, of people in the league who might accidentally be overhearing this
2: yeah i'd like to for that number to go from maybe two to three or four but you know beckers can't be choosers Did you just say beckers or
3: beggars I, was that a joke <laughs> or just a, a distortion <laughs> my in my Becker. audio <laughs> you,
1: you heard me right
2: it's an old family pun sean it's it's, it's very good mean?
3: Uh, no, uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I think, as well, uh, connecting to the the conversation about winning and losing and then the emotional ride. Um, I also think just podcasting and talking uh, more regularly with with all of the guests and just all of us, as opposed to once or twice a year, um, just brings more dimensions to to our conversations that, that that previously were just in writing. So I think it's just it's nice to hear everyone's voice and and um, to just get all the color that we've gotten over the course of the season. Um, I think we might have some off season podcasts. Podcast in us. I don't know if we'll call that this year or next year, but uh, I think we, we've got another another few that we can figure out. But uh, but yeah, thank you, Chris, particularly for being the energy behind this and the organizing force. Um, but yeah, it's been really fun and uh, good luck to you all next week. Um,
0: I like my odds next year with that 75% probability, Chris. I think that's fair. Um, thank you guys for the praise. Uh, Matt, why don't you take us out? Kamish, final thoughts?
1: I mean, I, I just wanted to echo everyone else's sentiment. I think this is this has been it's been a joy to do this all season and, and a special thanks to Chris for keeping us organized and keeping us on track and, and hosting hosting these things every week. It's been or most weeks. It's been great. And I, I agree with Sean. It's just been great to connect with everyone and talk, you know, much more often than we had been in the past. So i I really enjoyed it. this. It's been wonderful. One other thing I wanted to say, I realized I did not give proper credit to my opponent this week in this. Uh shout out to Jeff Dubner for a hell of a season and for a tough, tough way to have your season end on Sunday. I'm sorry, you did not deserve that to happen to you. And you know, you, 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 had just as good of a chance of winning the championship this year as I did. All
0: right. Well, I think on that note, we say goodnight. Sean, I think you're right. We probably will find a way to, to bring this back in the off season, maybe with some guests. Um, maybe we'll even do some wacky stuff, who knows. All right, guys, thank you very much. Uh, Good luck, happy hunting to everybody. And we'll see, hopefully with Ian. And Ian, sorry, we're totally just doing this whether you like it or not. So uh, next week, talk to you soon.
2: Take care everyone. Later guys.
1: Bye guys.